0: well praise God let the children filter through there for a second God you are so good we give you glory because you deserve it hallelujah praise you father well how's everybody doing I just want to take a moment to welcome all of you joining us via the internet. It's so great to have you with us. Whenever it is, it doesn't have to be this morning. It could be a month from now. It could be one year from now when this is recorded. But we want you to know that God is with you where you are now. And open up your heart to receive just as if you were sitting here with us. Is everybody ready to jump right in? Say, I'm ready. I'm I'm open. open. God, you got something for me. Well, last weekend, we started on a message called the Battle for Peace. And in honor of Remembrance Day, we were talking about how, you know, they called World War I the war to end all wars. But we know that that was not the case. It was then followed up by World War II, we had the Vietnam War, we had the Korean War, we've had the war in Afghanistan, we've had the war in Iraq, we've had wars in many countries around the world, so we know that there was no war that ended all the wars, they've continued. But you know that in Jesus, He's declared victory in every war you will ever fight, yeah, that's right. but you realize that you still have to fight the battle, but the battle that you fight is called show up and you win. <laughs> Isn't that a great one? It's like, you don't have to be worried about facing it. You show up, you win. Isn't that what we talked about in learning with the prophets? How that every time we disengage or back away, we lose. Every time we choose not to fight the battle, we lose by default. And so not facing the issues in front of you is never the solution because God can't help you triumph in them if you don't step up to the plate. What did Wayne Gretzky say? You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So we started talking about the battle for peace and we were talking out through Mark chapter 5 which is the story of Jairus and his his sick daughter and also the woman with the issue of blood. Now generally this would be be a, a passage of scripture that we would talk about faith. But there's so much more that Jesus said in this that goes beyond just our faith. And so the the climax of it is the woman with the issue of blood, she crawls through the crowd because she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. You know what? Thank God for boldness. The woman could have said, oh, it'd be so nice if I could touch Jesus' garment, but he's all the way over there and there's all these people in between. No, she got up off her butt and she crawled through the crowd. So she didn't even take the regular route where everybody's just kind of like elbowing through. She was like, Meat in the face you know you don't know what she had to go we said the bible says that the crowd was thronging him meaning there was a whole bunch of people and they were all pushing against and jesus and his disciples were like make way make way and so this woman was having to exert effort to get to her point of contact don't ever let the enemy tell you just to sit there oh jesus will come to you no you don't have to wait for him get up and go to him And I love that when when she grabbed hold of the garment, she was made whole, and all of a sudden Jesus starts looking around and says, who touched me? And the woman comes and gets in front of him and he says to her, how dare you put a demand on the power of God? No. How dare you think that I want to heal you? No. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well go in peace your suffering is over i love that he starts the statement with daughter that's a beloved term it's not lady i've never met some random woman in the city no it was daughter that was relational talk when god talks to you he always says hey son hey daughter hey beloved hey awesome one Hey, the one that I'd really love to be with. He never says, "Ugh, what do you want? (laughs) Come on, we've all been around people that's kind of like, "Ugh, you know, what do you want? God never feels like that about yours and his relationship. It's always my beloved child. And so he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed. We want to focus on this statement. Go in peace. Because the way that it's written in the English, you would think that he's saying, okay, you now have peace, just now, here I give it to you, go and go and take it. But the words that he actually used was is arini, and is is the word into or towards. So he told the lady, here, move your life towards. Peace. And we told you that peace, the word irene means peace, security, safety, prosperity, felicity, which is really a a fancy word for intense happiness. So he's basically saying, wherever you've been in your past, from this point forward, take what I've done and now move forward into these things. Because those are the things that Jesus provided for you. But you know, I like what it says in the New King James a little bit better. It says, and he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace or into peace and be healed of your affliction. So we understand when you read it that way and when you read it in the Greek that there's actually two things that Jesus is giving her in this moment. There was what the healing that made her well and then there's the peace. That will make her, and the word used in the Greek is sound. You know, you can be healed, but not be in a sound mind place. You can have victory in one area, but not have a complete situation being fulfilled in Jesus. And so he said to her, not only do you need your healing, we now need to put the rest of your life in order so that you don't end up right back where you were and so many people settle for just a little victory when god when god wants to take victory the whole way And so he said this, the woman had every reason to live a life of concern, worry, fear, stress, pressure, whatever words you want to put in there. She had every right. She's lost everything. She spent 12 years basically as a beggar because she's lost everything. She's unclean. She's not allowed to have social connections. There's just so much of that she doesn't understand about what her future would have been up until the point of Jesus. She thought she had every right, but every one of those reasons became invalid because of Jesus. So whatever causes you fear, whatever causes you stress, whatever causes you pressure, whatever causes you anxiety, you're in the same position. It's now invalid because of Jesus. Now, when we think about peace... We often think everything is rosy and it's just so good. All my ducks are lined up and it's great. But the thing about when you get your ducks lined up, someone shoots one. <laughs> you know, life never stays perfect for long. Peace is not the absence of problems, it is the status of a heart in faith. You can be in the midst of the storm and be at peace. Don't believe me? Think about Jesus for a moment. They're out in the boat. They're in the middle and there's, of, the, of the lake, and there's a huge storm comes up. And Jesus is asleep, out cold, not even bothered, not even concerned. But what's everybody else in the boat doing? Oh, my God, we're going to die! And so they go to Jesus, and they wake him up, and they say, Do you not care that we are all perishing? And he said, Oh, ye of little faith and he just said, peace. You know, you can't release something into a situation that you don't have. He was at peace and was able to release peace. When you are at peace, you can release peace into the situations you enter. You can go into the busiest meeting that you could think of and everybody's fighting and yelling and you can take peace and release it to that atmosphere. Because peace is what you have. And the thing is, God has not called you to escape, but to triumph. And we often have a view that we say, well, God, if this was different, then I could be happy. Then I could be at rest. God is not looking to all of a sudden zap you out of the situation and be like, okay, all your problems are over there. And all all you're over here now. No, he's called you to triumph. He's called you to win in every situation. Oh, come on. Am I the only one getting preached to this morning? No. You know, you got to realize that half the time I'm preaching to myself just because I need these sometimes just as much as you do. And so he's not called you to escape from the problem. He's called you to win in the problem. That's right. And sometimes to triumph, you have to transcend. Transcend. Now, what does the word transcend mean? It means to go out of range or go beyond the boundaries. If you want to get out of range of your fears, want to get out of range of your worries and concerns and all the problems, you know how you get out of range and go beyond the boundaries? You get into God. Because perfect love casts out fear. Do you want to know how to get out of the problems? He said in John 14, 27, He said, I am leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and peace of heart. And I like that He put both because often we think, oh yeah, my, everything's going on, but in my heart it's good. No, God said, you can have peace in both your mind and in your heart. And He said, "In the peace that I give you, the world cannot give it. So don't be troubled or afraid. Now, The thing is, he said, I'm leaving you with a gift, and that gift is the peace. I have to ask, and I've asked it before, and I'll ask it again. Did Jesus leave? So what does that mean about the gift he was going to leave? So, Everybody say this with me. I have peace. So, this morning, I want us to explore this a little bit. There's a difference between being a possessor of something and being a user of. So we'll use this story in honor of there being snow that we got on Friday way too early. God, what were you thinking? (sighs) So last year I bought a 420cc snowblower, 30 inch, because I've got quite a long driveway now and it takes me forever to shovel it. So I thought, you know, the best thing to do would be to buy a snowblower and cut down on some time. So I am the possessor of a snowblower. Now right now at my house, is that snowblower out in the laneway, snowblowing? Probably not. And if someone were to drive by my house and see my snowblower out there, snowblowing snow, without anyone pushing it, they'd be a little concerned they'd be calling the police saying, we've got some paranormal activity going on at Jordan Marshall's house. Though I am the possessor of a snowblower, it never does me any good unless I pull the cord, get behind it, put down the lever, and walk with it. And your peace will never do you any good though you possess it unless you get behind it, pull the lever, and walk with it. So if you want to use the peace that God has given, is a little bit of user- action required. You ever had one of those kids toys where it says, some assembly required. You know, when I see that on a box, I'm like, how much assembly? What parts have they broken this down into? Because though they send you with the instructions, I feel like they were written in another language. And they're saying, pictures, insert this into here. And I'm like, I don't have a piece that looks like that. Who wrote these instructions? Anybody ever felt like that? There's certain things that God has given you in Christ Jesus that come with some assembly required, and that is your peace. So this morning, I want to talk about having the right tools in your toolbox. You know, if you're going to tackle a job, it's always easier to do it with the right tools. Not everything requires a hammer. Though there's certain situations, oh, I see Pete getting some eyeballs there. Pete, are you like to, like to whack things into place? Just like, give it a little nudge. It's kind of like that, that uh, SNL skit. Need more cowbell. Do you need a little more hammer in your life, Pete? Having the right tools always makes the job go much smoother. And so I want to talk about the tools we should have and the tools that we shouldn't have, because that's just as important. Because there's certain of us in our lives that we're using the wrong things to try and build peace. And so the first thing we need to take out of our toolbox in order to walk in peace is worry. That is not a tool you need. In order to have peace, you can't be in worry at the same time. They are the polar opposites. But you know, some of us have grown up in households and families where worry was just what we do. And I heard one person say, if you're not worrying, you're not trying hard enough. (laughs) And so there's certain of us that have been raised in a certain way where our default is just worry. And so we have to learn how to take that out of our toolbox so that when we looking in, coming into a situation where we need the peace of God to rule in our hearts, we don't reach for the wrong tool. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, don't worry about anything. But I have to ask you. Has anyone ever said to you, oh, don't worry about it, and you were like, oh, great, thanks for the advice. That's exactly what I need to do. I've found that when people tell me not to worry, the first thing I do is worry. It's like if you're driving in your car and you see something inappropriate at the window and you go, everybody, don't look out the right side of the car. What does everybody do? We turn to the right side of the car. So Paul just saying, don't worry about anything is absolutely of zero value to you if you don't read what comes next. So he said, don't worry about anything. Instead... You know, sometimes we have short attention spans and we only get halfway through sentence. Keep reading. Keep it in context. So Paul's instruction to you is not necessarily about to stop worrying. He's about to tell you what to do instead. So we'll highlight red on don't worry because that's the bing, 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 don't do it. And he says, instead, pray about everything. But... I've found that in certain situations, I don't always know know how to pray. Don't look at me funny like that. I am the pastor of this church, and I have moments where I'm like, God, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Help me. So he says, pray about everything. But Paul, I think he was a bit of a detailed guy. He, him and I probably wouldn't get along. He's probably like my sister. Probably has everything he wants to do throughout the day, highlighted A through Z, and then probably double A to double Z, and then triple A to triple C. It's just too much organization and planning for me. So he doesn't just leave it at pray. He says, this is how you pray. Number one, Tell God what you need. Have you ever been in the situation where you know you have a need and you've thought about the need and you've talked about the need but you've never stopped and asked about the need? Oh, man, I do that so often. (laughs) But Paul's instructions were, Tell God what you need. And now if we just think back to our summer series on faith, this is our, was our anchor scripture. And 1 John 5.14 said, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything, everyone say, anything, according to His will, He hears us. And we know that if He hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the petitions. We have asked about them. So the reason why Paul says first step is ask because if you need, you ask and you receive. But, you know, maybe God's just trying to take me through something and he's trying to withhold it so that, you know, he'll grow me a little more and he'll teach me. And, oh my goodness, did you just insert that into the middle of my great verses? <laughs> but sometimes our head thoughts take us to those directions like that. He didn't say that at all. He said, ask according to his will. What do we know his will is? His will is his word. And there's so many wonderful promises that he's made about you. Take him at his word, ask and receive. So Paul's first step was, if you got a situation going on, instead of worrying, let's first ask God for the solution. And then he gave us a second step and he said, and thank him for all he, everyone say this next word, has done. Now, I've heard some people say, now thank him for what he will do. Well, that's you're focused on a future event. Paul's focus was you to look at what you already possess and say, thank you. Psalm 100 and verse 4 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, go into his courts with praise, and give thanks to him and praise His name. What did we say? If you want to transcend the situation, you got to go out of range. And where do you go out of range? You go into God. And how do you get into God? You go in with thanksgiving and praise. So, this led me to the second thing we need to take out of our toolbox that will be no use to us in the battle for peace. And that is ungratefulness. Because you can't be grateful and ungrateful at the same time and you can't walk into peace when you're still ungrateful so we need to take that out here's a little thing the grass is not greener on the other side just because it looks good over there the only reason you think it's, go, it's good over there because you don't see the problems that come with over there you only know the problems that are where you are and so you look and say oh it looks so good over there You know, you ever heard the the statement, new levels, new devils? You know, the problems that you're about to walk into are going to overwhelm you if you don't learn how to deal with the problems you have now. And so the grass is not greener on the other side. It's actually pretty good where you are when you water. And what you water grows. My grass is not very good because I don't water it. My garden was a shambles this year because I didn't weed it or water it. So if you look at my garden and say, well, he's got a junky garden. I guess it must be God's will for him to have a junky garden. It was No, it's not God's will for me to have a junky garden. It's God's will for me to get out the hoe and pull out the weeds and put a little water and plant a little flowers. And so if you want where you are to look a little better, do a little work and do a little faith. The grass is not greener. Here's what Proverbs 14.30 says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. In order to be envious of something, you first have to devalue what you have. And we can look around at what everybody else says, oh, it'd be so nice to have what they have. Um, It's always relative. There's someone looking at you saying, It would be so nice to have what they have. And then there's someone looking at them saying, it would be so nice to have what they have. You realize how blessed we are to live in this country? The poorest person in this town is still in the top percentage of wealth in the world. Our government gives us lots of money, whether you think that's good or bad. That brings the standard of living up higher than most countries. So when you're saying it'd be so nice over there, God is saying what you have is pretty good and I will increase you, but be thankful for where you are because a heart at peace gives life to the body and envy rots the bones. You know, they say everybody's trying to keep up with the Joneses. If only you saw how much debt the Joneses had and how unhappy they are when they close the door and how much their kids are like, I just can't wait to get out of this house. Mom, you suck. So how do we counteract these? We look for the little blessings every day. There is something that you can be thankful for every day. And if you can't think of it, I'll give you the easiest one. You woke up. You aren't in the morgue. You're not being embalmed and you're not being buried. You had breath in your lungs. If you can't think of anything good to thank God for, that's one Thank God for the clothes on your back, the food on your table, the family you have, the roof over your head, the car that you drive, even if you think it's a clunker, you can find something to be thankful for. And when you begin to change your perspective and take out the ungratefulness and put in the gratefulness, you'll realize how life begins to look a little rosier and the situation hasn't even changed. And here's what I've found. Ungrateful people are just out of practice at being grateful. And what you practice, it makes perfect. Isn't that what we tell kids? Bennett and I have been working on how to draw his letters and stuff like that lately. The big ones and the little ones and where to start. And he's like, I just can't do this. I'm like, well, if we practice, you get better. And he's getting so much better. But every day he's still like, I just can't do this. I'm like, but, but you've been doing it. You just need to learn to practice. And so if you can be bad at gratefulness, you can also practice and become Good at it. Okay. So he said it's instructions. He said, don't worry about anything. Instead, tell God what you need and be thankful for what you have. So those were his two points. Those are the only things he said to do. Ask God and be thankful for what you do have. And the next verse says, then. So if you follow steps one and two, the equal sign, this is where it leads. Then, you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. Why? You moved outside the boundaries. You've gotten out of range of fear. You've got out of range of discouragement. You've got out of range of pressure and anxiety and whatever word it is. Let's put a good one that people like to use. I'm just so stressed. You want to get outside of your stress? Go into God. Stress can't live in an environment of peace. So what's another thing we need to take out of our toolbox? Because we've already put thankfulness in, and we've taken out ungratefulness. We've taken out worry. One more thing we need to take out is shame, condemnation, and regret. You know, everyone has made decisions that were wrong, that they're not proud of. Everybody's done something that they're like, I look back and like, oh my goodness, younger me, you were so dumb. If I could only go back in time and say, don't do it, I would. But you know what? John 3.17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. I think a lot of Christians need to hear that. God's not here to condemn you, to beat you up. To judge you, he said, but the world through him might be saved. God is not into using condemnation to make you do anything. Because in Romans 8.1 it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Did you get saved? Condemnation is not in your playbook anymore. You need to leave that at the door because it will not take you to peace. And what I've found with condemnation and shame and guilt and all these things with my life, and if it's good for me, it's good for you, we need to practice a little forgiveness. Now, I'm not talking about forgiving others. We'll get to that in a minute. But there's so many Christians that need to forgive themselves. So you screwed up. Who hasn't? It all went on the back of Jesus. It all went in the grave of Jesus and it all died there. And you'll find that it's easier to forgive others when you forgive yourself first. Yeah, nobody's perfect. That's okay. The only one needed to be, and his name was Jesus. So if the enemy is putting pressure on you for guilt and condemnation and regret, tell him to take a hike and say, go see Jesus about it because Jesus will point them to where it's located. But we also need to forgive others. Now, I've heard this statement, and I think it's really good. Forgiving people doesn't change what happens, but it relieves the power of it over you. Yeah, people have done mean stuff that they shouldn't have done. Leave it there and walk on. Because staying in the position of hurt will never take you to the place of peace you know John 1, 1 John 1, 1.9 says if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness when you forgive people God comes along and dusts off the stains and that's exactly what they are the word cleanse here is not talking about an internal condition but an external condition do you want to know what the Greek word actually used for cleanse is it means to clean off the utensils What happens when you eat a meal? They get dirty. What do you do with them? You put them in the sink, you wash them off, and you use them again. Maybe you've got a little dirt on the jeans. We've got wash machines for that. And it's called the blood of Jesus. And it just washes them white as snow. The word confess there is homologio, which means to say the same thing. Say the same thing as who? What does God say about the situation? He's not saying oh daughter, you shouldn't have come through the crowd. You shouldn't have touched the hem of my garment. No, he's saying, daughter, your faith has made you well. So we change what we're speaking to line up with what God has said about the situation, that there is no weight, no hindrance that can stop me from running my race. Amen? Amen. Okay. Fourth thing we need to take out of the toolbox, and that is busyness. Now, Let's qualify this before we say anything more. We all have work to do. There's all things that we need to accomplish for our jobs, for our families, to keep our houses running. But there's a different thing that goes on beyond that where people just say, Oh, I'm just too busy to do this. Put put whatever you want into that. And I found that uh, today's society has mistaken busy for important. We had this one friend Robin and I that was always like oh I'm just so busy and then she would look to see how you would react to it like you, she was wanting to go oh that's good you know you, you got stuff going on because she thought busy equals important it doesn't you know what it found, I found for me when I would say I was busy you ready for this there's a little insight into Pastor Jordan when I would say busy what I was saying is I'm unorganized and I can't manage my time <laughs> and as much as I rag on my sister for being organized to, to like infinity i need a little organization in my time and i was struggling I'm like god i know i'm supposed to be giving you time and priority but i just can't seem to find time and he was like so make time you know what helps we have wonderful technologies where i can go okay google set me a reminder for 5 a.m oh it is turning on it recognize my voice turn off stop stop And it will set a reminder, and it will go off at 5 a.m. and say, get up and pray. I was trying to drink a gallon of water a day, and I'd get to the end of the day, and I'd be like, now I have like three liters of water I still need to drink. (laughs) So what did I do? I set reminders every 20 minutes. Drink so much water. We have so much technology at our disposal, why not do it to condition ourselves To live a God lifestyle. If you don't have time, rearrange your schedule. I found that by not watching one extra episode of Netflix at night, I could get up that much earlier in the morning and spend my time to set it right. And so just because you're busy doesn't mean you're being productive and doesn't mean you're conditioning your heart for peace. And so if you don't like your results, change your actions. Some people need to realize that when they say they're busy, it just means I do not prioritize what you're wanting me to do. And I realized that I, once I realized that, I was like, God, so when I say I'm too busy to pray, I just said, you're not my priority. You want to tell that to the creator of everything? I'm sorry, I thank you for giving me life, but I don't have time for you. I'm too busy. (laughs) That doesn't go well. And when, we're at, when, when we all get to heaven and he's saying, well, why didn't you, you, this would have been so much different if you did this. And we've been like, I can't say it because now I'm here face to face to you. <laughs> right? You know, th- that's the problem with the digital world. You know, we say such harsh things and mean things online that we would never say to people's face. But we also do the same thing with God as we're walking through our day. God, it's not important. Sorry, I know you want to help that person, but I don't have time to help them. God, I know you want to speak a word through me. God, I know you want me to give so that this person can be blessed, but I just don't have time for that. That won't be an excuse when we get to heaven. Now, I got a series in the works that we're going to probably do in the new year called Eternally Minded because we've gotten so life-minded that we forget about our true purpose and what God has asked us to do on this earth. Just a little snapshot in what's coming up. So I was saying, I'm unorganized and I can't manage my time. There are solutions to that. Here's what Paul said. He said, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. He didn't say you were a fool, but you can live like one. And he says, but but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity for these are evil days. I like what the New King James says. He says, redeeming the time, meaning you can choose how you spend it. And something I said by the Holy Spirit about a year and a half ago was, take time or time will take you. And Garnet keeps reminding me of that every few months. Take time, or time will take you. You will spend your time doing something. Does it support your end game? Okay, I can see you're thrilled about that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Give me a little grace. I want to start coming in for a landing here. Last week we talked about Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3 and it says you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. In this verse the you is not you. Pardon moi? The you in this verse in the context is God. God will keep you in perfect peace all who trust in the you again is him. All whose thoughts, thoughts are your thoughts, are fixed on the you is him. The context of this verse is talking about God, what God will do. And I think it's interesting. You see in the green I've highlighted, it says perfect peace. I think it kind of startled the the translators because they're like, how do we translate that properly? Because what it says is, you will keep in peace, peace. Shalom, shalom. One shalom was not enough. God wanted you to know he'll keep you in more than one. He'll take you all the way. Now, the the Greek definition of irini is great, but you want to hear the the Hebrew definition of shalom? I like it. I'm going to tell it to you whether you want it or not. Come on, everybody, come on, stretch out. We're coming in for a landing. The definition for shalom in the Hebrew is completeness, soundness, welfare, peace, safety, and soundness in body. It is welfare, health, and prosperity. It is peace, quiet, tranquility, and contentment. It's peace in friendship of human relationships, friendships with God through our covenant relationship. It's peace from war, and it's peace as an adjective. I really love that. It's not just be at rest. Um, um. you know we can often substitute what the world calls peace for what god calls peace and his peace doesn't just make you quiet and at rest it goes the full mile and it infects every and i'm going to use that word again it infects because you put a little bit, bit into your life and it'll spread it affects your finances. It affects your body. It affects your health. It affects your mind. It affects how you see. It affects your friendships with people around you. It affects your relationship with God. It infects every area of your life. And so he says, God will infect you with shalom, shalom. Now, one wasn't enough. He decided to give a double dose. It's like in the New Testament where he says, truly, truly. It was not enough that he said, what I'm about to tell you is true. It really is that extra mile true. And so he is shalom, shalom'd you. And it says, all who trust in him, whose thoughts are fixed on you. Now the word fixed is the word samak, which means to lean or to support oneself against. Garnet, come on up here. Garnet is going to be my samak. <laughs> Hold me up. <laughs> This is what the word means. I've so fully thrust myself upon the subject of peace that if it moves, I fall. It's kind of like a crutch. Thank you, Garnet. It's kind of like a crutch. If you've broken your leg, Joel, you probably know what I'm talking about here. When you were on crutches, you had to put your weight on it. And if someone were to kick that crutch out, guess what? You're going down but you know what the thing is with God's peace it's unmovable it's unshakable it can't be pulled out of the situation I love what Hebrews said who art thou that judges another man's servant it's up to the master whether he stands or falls and he is able to make you stand when you fully lean yourself upon him you God would have to fail for you to fall and guess what he doesn't fail He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we put the full weight of our thoughts upon the Lord. This doesn't mean that we spend all day going, God, 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 God. Oh, squirrel. Oh, sorry, God, 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 that's not what he's talking about. But we set our thoughts and we set our boundaries that when our minds start to go certain directions, like worry, fear, discouragement, pain, whatever, we reset them back to, my God is my strength. My God is my deliverer. I will lift up my eyes because that's where my help comes from. We learn to condition our thoughts to move back to God. So let's go and look at the context of Isaiah 26 for a second. Let's back it up and see a little bit wider. And in verse 1 it says, In that day everyone in the land of Judah will sing this song. And so theologians agree that this is a prophetic psalm song by Isaiah that was not for his day but for ours. Doesn't matter who you looked at, whether it was Calvin, whether it was Spurgeon, whether it was John Wesley, whether it was a modern theologian, they all realized that this is not for them, it was for us. And he said, in that day, everyone in the land of Judah will sing this song. Now, bonus points to the one who can remember what Judah means. Yes, 50 gold stars to Pauline. Judah means praise. Whenever Israel would travel, Judah always went first. Whenever they had a battle, Judah was the front lines. And I can, I can just look at the tribe of Judah. They're like, serious. Moses, again? Why do I have to be at the front? Why can't Reuben do it? Judah means praise, and they always go first because praise precedes your peace. Praise precedes your breakthrough. Praise precedes your increase. If we don't have time to praise, we don't have time to win. And so he says, in that day... Everyone in the land of praise will sing this song. Our city is strong. We are surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Open the gates to all who are righteous. Allow the faithful to enter. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord our God is the eternal rock. That's why you can pull up a kickstand and lean upon him because he's the rock that never moves. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we remove all these other things out of our toolbox. We find the things that we truly need. Prayer, thanksgiving, and praise. He gave you the only three tools you need. And when you're in those things, faith, love, hope, all the other things just flow naturally because you've stepped outside the boundaries of everything else and stepped into God. That's why we spend so much time worshiping. Worship is not what we do while we're waiting for the message and for you to arrive. Worship is what we do when we open our hearts and remember, oh yeah, God, I can say I praise your name and I will praise it forevermore because you are all I need. You are the king of my heart because I had to take everything else out and make room for you. We praise because he's worthy and we praise and it causes us to win. The battle for peace is not a once and done. It's an everyday pursuit of the things of God and it will take you to that victory you've been longing for but didn't know how to bridge the gap. It's bridged with peace. So Father, we thank you for your peace. We thank you for what you've given to us in Christ Jesus. Right now, we just open our hearts to receive all you have for us. We thank you for it. Now maybe you're watching us this morning via the internet and you haven't made that first step in making Jesus the Lord of your life that's the doorway to peace it's the thing you've been looking for don't wait another moment right now open your heart and receive him and it goes simply just like this God I thank you for Jesus Jesus. and I receive you now that's it welcome to the kingdom welcome to the land of peace you have a great journey ahead of you. I want you to get in contact with us so that we can get some resources to you and get you hooked up with a good church in your area. How you guys doing this morning? You know, I said this after last week's message. I said whenever something is preached and you open your heart to receive it, you always have opportunity to walk it out. And this message will be no different. You're going to have lots of opportunities this week to do anything but peace. But now you have opportunity put this into practice. I'll use my own life as an example. This morning, the day where I like to be at peace and I like to be at rest, we woke up and we had no power because apparently there was a planned power outage that they didn't tell us they planned. And so we had no water, we had no, no, no way to cook and everything like that and I was like, ugh, I was like, no peace. And then of course, this also happens to be the day that the kids are just going crazy and you're like, no, peace. You will have opportunity to practice or to walk away. Every time you engage, you win. I pray that you have a winning week, amen? You guys are blessed, have a wonderful week. Let's have some coffee and fellowship.